you were listening to the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. Red Hill Church is a gospel-centered, missional church in the Edwardsville, Glen Carbon community of the St. Louis Metro East. We exist to glorify God and make disciples by sharing the gospel and sharing our lives. Good morning and Merry Christmas, Red Hill. Can you all so happily and merrily find your Bible and the gospel according to Luke, the second chapter? And while you're doing that, I'll let you know that I'll be reading the first 20 verses. And wasn't it just so much fun to have Eden up here? We've got a little baby up here. It's so cool. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good week. Jesus came, a little baby with teeny tiny fingerprints. Okay, sorry, I got excited. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The word of the Lord. I'm going to try to become Scott's agent and get him on Cameo, where he can just read books to you and say nice things, and you can pay us money for him to do that. So... Hey, uh, Luke chapter 2, this is like the Christmas passage right here. This passage, 
maybe more than any other passage, takes me to a very specific setting. And it takes me to my grandmother and granddad Hollis's house on Bluebird Lane with uh, wood walls and some wood flooring and uh, fine china and a very slow and big breakfast uh, before you got to have your presents. So you have to eat this breakfast. Like you've opened your presents at home. Then you go to grandmother and granddad Hollis's house and you have a, a, a big breakfast and you have to have nice clothes on. Like you can't just be wearing pajamas. You put on nice clothes because it's going to be the, the fancy plates and stuff for coming out. You know what I'm talking about? And you can't have fancy plates and pajamas. You have to have fancy clothes. Every small young boy loves to wear fancy clothes. So I fit right in there. And we'd get to Grandmother and Granddad Hollis's house. And we'd have breakfast. And then we'd go into the living room. And someone would read the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2. And the question was always for me and my brother. How long are we going to go? Like, how much of this are you going to read? And we would spend probably more time trying to negotiate down the amount of reading to be done than the actual time of just reading the passage. And, uh, and you, 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 knew, you knew you were a good reader, like you were cocky as a reader when you volunteered to read the Christmas passage because you were going to have to say Quirinius or Quirinius or Quirinius or something like that. You know, like, I don't know how you're going to pronounce it because I didn't speak Greek or uh, Hebrew or anything like that. So you knew, you knew things were going to be happening. My grandmother and granddad Hollis were married in 1937 in December. So December is a big month for our family. And grandmother Hollis was the matriarch of the family. Like the whole family revolved around her because she was so giving and generous and creative and kind and just engaging. And uh, she was really, she was the center of family life for us. And in December of 1987, my grandmother passed away just a few days before her and my granddad's 50th anniversary. And uh, that Christmas day, we did not know what to do. We were, we were lost. We were trying to figure out, like, how do you make sense of Christmas when your whole Christmas, like, orientation has been ripped away? Like, everything that you knew about Christmas is gone. And how are we supposed to, like, celebrate Christmas now? Because we cannot do the thing that we always do. And so, you know, we did the... Uh, only thing that a thinking family can do on a day like that. We went to the local golf course and broke in to the community golf course, city golf course, Trosper Park, and, uh, and we played golf. We played like four holes of golf. I think, honestly, I think that's all my dad could take. I think my dad, after like four holes, was like, that's it. I didn't think this Christmas could get any worse. My mom's died. We got nothing going on good. And now we're playing golf. And I got my wife and my two kids. And they're all acting like idiots on the golf course. Because nobody was there. So I'm pretty sure that I was not restrained and austere, which is my normal disposition. (laughs) Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year they say and sing about but it's also filled with complications like relational tensions anybody going to see family anybody having family coming to see you the interesting thing about being around family is that every sentence uttered has however many years you've been living of backlog that is factored into the words and the tone that is used So everything is layered with all kinds of hidden meanings and it creates interesting moments. People get sick. People are like, I shouldn't get sick at Christmas as if Christmas actually does have a magical power that prevents you from experiencing human life. 
We have memories of days gone by. We have that at our house when our kids were little and now our kids were, are big. And you think about what Christmas used to be like and loved ones who've passed away who don't get to celebrate with you at Christmas. We've had seasons and you have too and you may be in one where there's really not quite enough money to have the Christmas that you'd like to have. Your kids are growing up or maybe life just isn't turning out the way that life was supposed to turn out. And everybody's like, hey, this sermon was supposed to be about joy. And you're kind of making it a real downer, man. Like it's just like Christmas and this is like a real, real bummer. But I want to say, I think that this is part of the problem that we have sometimes. We, we somehow come to believe that uh, joy can't flourish inside the thorns and the throes of everyday life. That everything has to get fixed and then joy comes. And, you know, that longing inside of us is good. It's the longing for heaven or the longing for Eden, not our baby worship leader, Eden, which we all want to be best friends with her, I know. But Eden, the time in human history when everything was right, there, there wasn't any sickness. Nobody died. Everybody had a job that they loved. It paid them enough for them to have all the things that they wanted to have, and when they went to work, everything they did worked. There was not a single problem. They didn't have to wait on the rainbow wheel or the blue screen of death or a printer that just wouldn't print or a person that wouldn't do what they were supposed to do. They loved one another and God was their best friend. It's a pretty good situation. And then Adam and Eve sin and they get thrown out of their house they lose the joy of their jobs, so they have to keep working, but now nothing works. They get pregnant a couple of times in the midst of all this, and then one of their kids actually murders one of the other kids. And the world's been living in that kind of a shadow ever since. All the way up into this moment in history, Joseph and Mary leave their hometown and make a 90-mile journey to Bethlehem. Mary's in her third trimester during this time and they have to go there so that they can figure out how much money they're gonna have to be taxed. Imagine if your family, I just got a thing from my accountant, like, hey, tax season's coming up. I'm like, awesome. Thanks for sending that right before Christmas, CJ Slosher and company, who does a great job for me. <laughs> I could have used it probably like early November, maybe late October if we're honest. But imagine if you and your whole family and extended family had to travel together to Washington, D.C., pay for the trip yourself, pay for the lodging yourself, and you're only doing that so that Uncle Sam can figure out how much money they're going to need to take from you this year. That's pretty much the situation that they're in. Meanwhile, uh, Mary is still pregnant and has to give birth in some type of cave barn type atmosphere where the animals are just roaming around. There's a few redneck shepherds out there just living the dream, hanging out with filthy, stupid animals, sheep. When the Bible calls you sheep, it's not complimenting you. It's not like, oh, I'm fluffy and I'm cute. And everybody loves me and Mary has me. Well, one of me, you know. That is not what's happening in that moment. Probably sitting out there having some sort of existential crisis, like, is this all I'm ever gonna do in my whole life? is just sit here and watch sheep. Like this is my life. The larger setting, 
pretty much what you'd expect. Tell me if it sounds familiar. Unfulfilled political promises, holiday traffic, family tension, and also just being a human being. Mary and Joseph weren't exempt from that and you are not exempt from that and I'm not exempt from that and your extended family isn't exempt from that. And it's in the midst of everyday life that Jesus showed up. There's something to that, I think. It was in the midst of everyday life, in the midst of difficult moments when Jesus was born. People were just living their lives like normal when the angels showed up with the news. It was like just a regular Tuesday. Everybody's just doing what they were supposed to be doing, and Jesus showed up. Dallas Willard has this great quote. I want to read it to you. I've got it on my phone, so I'm sorry. I have to pull it off of here. I didn't write it down in my notes. He says this. He says, God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. And if we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment as not being right, we will simply have no place to receive his kingdom in our lives. Only place he can meet you is right where you are. He shows up in a manger. He shows up in a stall. He shows up outside of the inn. Why? Because that was real life for Mary and Joseph. There wasn't anywhere for them to stay. So that's where they found themselves and that's where Jesus found them. The shepherds were in the field. Why did the angels go to the field? Because that's where the shepherds were. They just were living their life, man. Everything was happening the way everything always happens. And Jesus shows up. The angels show up first. They have this great message. Don't be afraid. We've talked about this a number of times now in this series. This is what the angels always say. So when your mom or grandma gets out the precious moments, just be like, it's cute, but that's not real. Really someone, this is a business idea and I'll go have these with you, should make terrifying moments. <laughs> and they should make angels that people look at and they're like, just turning it away. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't put that on my shelf. Do not put that on my shelf. I don't want that for Christmas. Because the angels show up and they say, don't be afraid. And the reason, the always the reason that you should not be afraid is because God is here and he wants to tell you something. And I don't know where you are this morning spiritually. I don't know what's happening in your everyday life, but it's the first message that God has for you this morning. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And what's great about this particular moment is that the angels give a little bit more detail about why you shouldn't be afraid. We have good news of great joy. It's not just good news. It's not just like, oh, nice, a green light. It's like good news of great joy. Someone won the lottery and it was you. Oh, awesome. Something amazing is happening. This is good news that causes me to be like a Diet Coke when a Mento is dropped into it. If you want to try it, do it outside with someone's permission. I don't know whose permission you need to get, but if you're thinking about doing it, then you're like me and someone has to say it's okay. That's all I'm saying about it, all right? You're just overflowing with joy. We're bring, don't be afraid. We're not bringing you bad news. We're not bringing you terrifying news. We're bringing you good news of great joy. That's excellent. Who's it for? All the people. Are you a people? Are you a person? Are you a human being? 
I don't have any idea what's happening in your life. I don't know what your Christmas looks like. I don't know what's waiting for you after the service is over. I don't know what kind of good news or bad news, great family or terrible family or no family you've got going on. But in the midst of all that, Jesus shows up and we say, good news of great joy for all the people, which means it's for me. There's good news of great joy for me, and here's why. A savior was born for you. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when God shows up, our first instinct is to hide. That's the first thing that happens in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sin, and they go, we better put on some fig leaves and start hiding a little bit from each other, and we're gonna duck into the bushes because God's coming, and when God gets close to us, we feel fear. That's the natural feeling of sinful people in the presence of a holy God. God is holy and we're unholy. And God shows up and the first instinct we have is, I hope he doesn't see me. Like the real me. I hope he doesn't see what's happening in my heart. I hope he doesn't see what's happening in my head. I hope he doesn't see the things that I'm doing. I hope he doesn't see the things that I'm wanting to do. I hope he doesn't see the things that I regret doing. I'm gonna hide because I'm afraid. That's why people hide, because they're afraid. We still do this. Little kids do this. When they do something bad and you go, did you do that thing that you weren't supposed to do? A little kid instinctively does this. And what are they doing? They're just repeating Adam and Eve in the garden. And they're just repeating you and me. When we're found out, we feel afraid. But the message to you today in the midst of this moment in your life is don't be afraid. And here's why. A savior was born for you. That's why you don't have to be afraid. A savior was born for you. Well, you don't know what I've done. Well, it wasn't a buddy that was born for you. It wasn't someone who's just gonna ride shotgun who was born for you. A savior was born for you. Have you ever been saved from something? I have. I went to Whitewater once when I was a kid and thought, you know, it'd be fun is to jump in the deep end of the wave pool without any flotation device and no oversight. And so I jumped in and I began the process of drowning and was really actually drowning when some random person grabbed a hold of me and threw me on top of her tube and kicked me all the way out to the edge where I'm sure I didn't even say thank you. I just ran from the water, right? I just, I'm just getting out of there. Whenever she grabbed a hold of me, I didn't say, yeah, but you don't know I, I jumped in here on my own. I mean, I was really dumb. I like, I shouldn't have, I've been told a thousand times not to do it. I, I, I knew better. I should have known better. I'm ashamed of what I did. No, she was a savior to me. You know what a savior does? A savior saves someone who needs to be saved. Well, yeah, but I've done a lot of stuff. A savior was born for you. For you. A savior was born for you. Exactly who you are, exactly where you are in the middle of everyday life, a savior was born for you. That's why you don't have to be afraid. God himself took on flesh 
and made his dwelling among us, right in the middle of the story, on an otherwise ordinary day to an otherwise ordinary family. He showed up. And here's why, because he wants to make his intentions and his identity perfectly clear to us. You are gonna be confused about a lot of things in life if you haven't figured that out yet. I'm confused most of the time. Pretty much everyone I know is just making it up as they go. People come to me and they're like, how do you plant a church? And I just say, you just start trying. My cousin uh, has a really successful business that he started. And so I called him and I said, how do you raise money? Like, how do you raise funds for your idea? And he said, well, the trick is to go broke a couple of times, but don't tell anybody that you went broke. And then you get real good at raising money because you're broke. I was like, so you just fake it. He's like, 100%. You just get desperate and get needy. God wants you to know who he is and why he's showing up in your life. It's good news of great joy. You don't have to hide and you don't have to be afraid of him drawing near to you. The message over and over and over and over is always the same. You don't have to be afraid because I'm here. Exactly who he is. A savior born for you. Jesus being born is good news that brings great joy into everyday life. It doesn't fix everything. I would love to have a bigger narrative of Mary and Joseph, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to be in the house when they have conversations and decide to stay together when they're thinking about breaking up? Wouldn't you like to have heard what that sounded like? And the courage that that must have taken. When Quirinius was governor and they're like, you gotta go back home to your town, your family town. And Joseph's like, I'm sorry, Mary. I know it's 90 miles. I mean, later it'll be pictured on donkey. So maybe we can find one of those. I don't know. But we're gonna go 90 miles, essentially on foot with whatever we can pack. And I'm sorry, but we have to do it. Well, there's nowhere for us to stay, so we're just gonna be in this stable. And then they have a newborn baby and they're not yet actually fully wed. And they have to live life together in their community and figure all that out. That's where Jesus is born and that's where he shows up. What's he like? He's leaning into the mess with you. It's why Hebrews 4 is one of my favorite chapters and verse 16 is one of my favorite verses. It says, you don't have a great high priest, this person, Jesus, mediating on your behalf before God. You don't have one who doesn't understand you, but one who is tempted in every way. He had the full human experience and so he's able to sympathize with you. Life's gonna be difficult and painful and confusing and the good news is that we have one rock solid truth. A savior was born for us. A savior was born for me. A savior was born for you. Does that make every single problem go away? Nope. Will that make family Christmas less complicated? Nope. Does that make losing a loved one not hurt? Nope. Well, then what good is it? It tells me this one thing, that God is with me and that this isn't the end of the story for me. 
This isn't all there is. Which means, of course, I face good moments with great joy, knowing that's not going to last in this life, and bad moments with endurance and grit going, that's not going to last in this life. And understanding this really important truth, the human experience is the same for everyone. It's not as if there are some people that go through life without loss and pain and sickness. It's just that there are a lot of people that go through life still afraid of what God thinks about them, which means at the most foundational level of human existence, they feel not okay and off center. And I want you to know, you don't have to feel that way this morning. Whatever has happened, there's a savior that's born for you. However you're feeling, I've got good news of great joy. And it's for you because you're one of all the people. And it's that Jesus actually did show up. And if you'll take this Christmas season and just think just a little bit about what it must have been like for him to show up in that circumstance, maybe, just maybe, you will have a little bit of comfort and a little bit of increased faith that says, he's also here in this one. And that doesn't make it like fundamentally less complicated, but it does make it fundamentally different. Because whatever it is that you're facing, you're don't, you, you don't have to face it by yourself. He's with you. A savior was born for you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know him, you haven't given your life to him, let me tell you something. He was born for that purpose. He was born to save you. You're in the deep end and you're drowning. And the dumbest thing that you could do is be like, you know what? I'm getting what I deserve. When there's someone who will put you on the life raft and take you to safety. When he was literally born for that purpose, the best thing you could do this Christmas is receive that joy. I'm gonna ask you to do this, to bow your head, to close your eyes, and to give one moment to this Christmas consideration. What does it mean for me to have that good news today? Because Christmas means it's all different. And the one thing that I know is true is every single person who walked in here, walked in here actually having an everyday life and an everyday experience. And none of us lives in a Norman Rockwell painting or a Thomas Kincaid painting. And I'm just gonna invite you with me to pray that this year Jesus would meet you in the midst of the moments. And that if there's nothing else you can hold on to, you can say there's still good news because <laughs> I'm a mess. But he was born for me to save me. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna invite everyone who would like to, who's a, a believer, to come to the table. You can take the Lord's Supper with us. We just take the bread, we dip it in the juice. We take that as a reminder of what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed when he took bread and broke it and he said, this is my body which is being broken for your sins. And he took the wine and poured it out and he said that he was creating a new covenant with the blood that he was gonna spill, meaning there was a new way for us to connect with God and it was through Jesus. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminding ourselves that that little baby in a manger was born for a purpose. 
And the purpose was to make the way back to God for us. So we get to celebrate it. We get to be thankful for it. I hope that Christmas is amazing for you. I hope it's wonderful for you. More than anything, I hope that you meet Jesus this Christmas. And if you don't know him, I hope that you give your life to him this morning. I'm available to pray with anybody during these moments who would like to. I'll be over there by the round tables. When you're ready, you can come and take the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna pray for us and then you come as the Lord leads. Jesus, thanks for being born for me, a sinner, meeting me in the midst of just regular life and all the joy that it is. It's not just hard, it's not just tough, it's not just confusing. Sometimes it's those things, but there's so much joy and I know that's a gift from you. Thank you for saving me from my sin, for meeting me as a kid, full of anger, full of sin, running away, and calling me to faith in you. Thank you. Thank you that my faith in you and being a Christian wasn't just about one moment, but about a lifetime of learning how to love you and how to be loved by you. I wanna pray for every person in this room that they would take that journey, that they would step into that love, that they would keep learning what it means to be loved by you and to love you. And if there's anyone here who's unsure about their relationship, that this year would be the year and that this morning would be the morning that they would surrender themselves to you and receive all the joy that you bring when you forgive us of sin and you give us the gift of your spirit. Meet us in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, you can come to the table. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. 
If you have any questions about this message, our church, or the gospel, or if you'd like to get in touch with one of our elders, you can visit our website at www.redhill.church. Navigate to the I'm New tab and click the option for Connection Card. Filling out this online card will allow you to get in touch with us and one of our elders will follow up as soon as possible. Thanks for listening and be sure to check back next week as we continue to study and apply God's Word together.